All right, good morning. We are in the second part of a series we've been doing called The Promise. Last week we talked about hope, so if you didn't get a chance to, to hear that one, you can go online and uh, you can check out past messages at dothancf.com. Uh, we also download the PDF, so whatever you see up on the screen, scriptures, a lot of times I put scriptures up there. Uh, that's uh, in a downloadable PDF when you go to that message if you want to go look at it and look up scripture references. Um, I like to do that myself, so that's available to you. This week, we are going to be talking about the theme, the Advent theme of peace. So I don't know about you guys, but I hate shopping. My wife loves shopping. It's a problem. <laughs> so in the early days, I would go with my wife shopping, and we would go for a while, and uh, then it would turn into a longer while, and then a longer while, and then, then I'm mad, and then she, she doesn't understand why I'm mad. I'm like, because why do you have to look at every single dress in the entire building and then put them all back, and we didn't buy anything? I don't understand that. Like, as a man, like, we go in to kill something and take it home and cook it, right? That's what we do, but apparently women are different. I, who knew? So, I, <laughs> thankfully, though, my wife did not invite me to the Friday chaos that is Black Friday. Anybody do that? Who, who did Black Friday? Good for you. A lot of people didn't actually this year. It was kind of weird. Some of that's COVID, I think, left over. Some of it's we ain't got no money. So what, why, we go, <laughs> why would we go to Walmart, right? But uh, this year, it was a little bit different. Not a whole lot of fighting, but they did put kids in cages. I don't know if you saw that. That was uh, something they put up there. You guys show that one? Hey! <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you're a parent and you do this, just know the government's watching you. So I just want to remind you. But, but when I go shopping, usually what happens is this next picture. This is usually me. I was like, how did my wife talk me into going on, right, on this? But the good news is my wife figured something out. I tell her, I'm like, I'll give you a solid 30 minutes. But after that, I'm going to the car. I have a cell phone now with the internet. Can, I can watch movies. I can, you know, I can do whatever. I can whittle. <laughs> whatever I want to do. She can stay in there as long as she want, wants, and I'm happy. And she'll send me a text, hey, come look at this. So we've, we've worked it out. we figured it out. But um, there's a lot of chaos, obviously, during the holidays. I just don't like it. I don't like going out. I don't like driving. I, I, get, ang I get angry at my fellow humanity. I don't know about you. Uh, I, I did not do well when I lived in Atlanta when I had to drive on the roads with crazy people. Anybody else feel my pain? I, I didn't cuss. I came as close as you can, you can come to cussing, but not actually cussing. But I was, I was angry most of the time. I'm like, did you not go to, uh, you know, you, I don't know if that's you or not, but I, it just drives me crazy. But the good news is, thankfully, I haven't had to do a whole lot of shopping because you can click on a button now, and, and now you let the UPS guy and the FedEx guy fight it out in your neighborhood and bring you stuff, right? It's super cool. So I'm glad about that. But the problem with that is there's so much, anytime you go out there, you, you have this joy of the holiday season and you're so excited about what, what God's doing. Um, you know, you're thinking about the season and it's, it's really good, especially if you're a believer. And then it's, it's juxtaposed on this, this anger and frustration that you constantly see and then also feel. Like you're like, like how, why is that making me so angry, right? It's like, I don't know why, it's because I have I have peace inside of me, but it's, you know, it's staying inside, not coming out. The anger is coming out, right? So I learned a long time ago, the Bible says you can be angry, but not sin. And I think it's helpful to know. Like it's, it, there's a reason why we get angry because there's stuff going on that's, it's not right. Frustration is actually a clue that you know something. You, ha you actually have the potential to help somebody with something, which is why you're frustrated with the situation, right? We talk about that in grace teams when we do uh, talk about ministry teams, which is coming up the first of the year. 
But understanding that, like when you go out to shop, that feeling of, of, okay, it's peace on earth, you know, it's goodwill towards men, except there's anger and frustration, all that thing. Um, this is something actually you see constantly all over the place. It just gets amplified during the Christmas season. There's this really interesting scripture you see in, in, in Isaiah. It's very, um, very kind of prophetic, and, you know, the prophecy is promises that God made, especially in the Old Testament, of something that was coming. And there was a promise to the, to the people of Israel that there was a, a, a leader who was coming, and they were going to call him the Prince of Peace, right? So he was going to be certain things, and one of those things he was going to be was the Prince of Peace. And so most of us are familiar with this. This is Isaiah 9. Let me just read it to you. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It goes on, it says, of the greatness of his government and peace. Isn't that cool? Like, not just the way he leads, the greatness of his, of his leadership, but also the greatness of, of his peace, there will be no end. Like, it just, gets, it just gets better and better and better the more you get to know him. Um, it goes on, it says, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And it says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So unfortunately, when this was written, that was not the case of the, of the people who were writing, you know, Isaiah writing this and the people of Israel. They were, not, they were not seeing the Prince of Peace in their midst. They were seeing things like, you know, um, uh, nations that were fighting against them, slavery. They were seeing um, massive powers like Rome coming in and taking over Babylon. All these different situations where they're crying out for something, something so much more than what they had. And, and, if you're, and if you felt that this morning, one of the things we did in our worship time was we recognized that the, you know, the Bible talks about the kingdom come and the kingdom not yet. So the kingdom come is our promises that Jesus has given us. And sometimes when we don't see those promises come to pass in our life, we, we act as if God was a liar. Rather than asking the question, Lord, I know you don't lie, so if I'm not seeing this happen in my life, can you help me understand why? Is there something on my side of it? Is there an attack? And I always love it. You go back to, uh, to Daniel, and he's praying, and, and, he, and he, he fasts, and he prays for 21 days. And, you know, and, if, and if you're not careful, you're in the midst of this crying out for God to bring something like peace, and you're not seeing it, the danger then is beginning to believe that maybe he doesn't want to bring it. And so we see doctrines that, that rise up in the church like this. You know, God doesn't heal anymore. Why? Because I prayed for somebody and they weren't healed. Right? I mean, like if you, you would never get married if you adopted that philosophy with women, right, as, as a man. You're like, well, you know, I, I approached the first woman in middle school and she said no. And so I'm, you know, I guess God doesn't want me to be married. No, you're just weird in middle school. Come on, man. You, you'll get there, right? And girls are a little more mature. But we, we don't adopt that philosophy with anything else. But so often with God, we do that. We just back off and go, I'm not going to press in. I'm not going to find out. I'm not going to discover more of God. I'm not going to believe his promises. I'm going to believe a lie that the enemy said that his promises aren't true. Right? And so, so the challenge during all this time of this prayer for peace is they're praying for this peace and their prophets are being sent and, and the word of God is coming out that this is coming. The, I hear your cries and it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And, and they would be desperate. We talked about that last week. They'd be desperate in their prayer. God, how long do we wait? How long before we see these promises come to pass? Right? And so part of that desperation, out of that desperation, brings a cry because there's a sense of hope in, inside of you. You know God wants to do it, but you're not seeing it. And oftentimes when we pray these prayers, what happens is there's something that's not aligned in us. 
And we're asking God for something that he's trying to give us, but there's something out of alignment in our lives. And so he'll say, hey, I want to talk to you about this one thing. Like this morning, it was fear, right? It's like, <clears throat> what is fear is just, um, it's just thinking about the unknown future without God. That's all fear is. Because what is faith? Faith is God has promised you something good, and he's honest about it. He's, his promises, he doesn't break his promises. So, so if I'm having faith, I'm believing that that's coming. And then as I do that, oftentimes there's something that I need to do. God's saying, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to lean into this. I want you to let go of these relationships. I want you, I want you to move here. I want you to ch- take this job. I want you to let go of this. There's so many things that in our walk with the Lord that is more than just reading the Bible, right? We get that. But there's a word of the Lord over our lives, and he speaks into us. And if we don't pay attention, oftentimes the prayer that we're praying, we're not going to see. And so that was some of the problem with some of these guys. They they were thinking about peace in a way that wasn't accurate. They were crying out for peace and their version of it. And God said, I'm going to send a person who is peace. I'm not just going to send you peace. I'm going to send you a person. So there's this really interesting movie. Most of you guys have probably seen it. It's a Sandra Bullock 2000 hit. It's called Miss Congeniality. Anybody ever see that? (laughs) So funny. So there's this... uh, Part, you know, there's a couple parts in there, but there's this one part where they ask him, of course, like in all of these things, they're like, what's the most important thing to you? What matters most to you? And all of them say exactly the same thing. Anybody know what it is? <laughs> See, we are world peace, right? And, it, and, and everybody hears it, it's like, ah, whatever, world peace. Like, <laughs> it's what you're supposed to say, right? So there's this, there's this other part in the movie where um, <clears throat> Miss Rhode Island is asked this really interesting question, right? And she says, or that, the question is, what's your idea of a perfect date? And she answers, I'd have to say April 25th because it's not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. <laughs> and William Shatner's looking at her like, what? And so <laughs> she heard, you know, she heard calendar date. He was talking about, you know, when you go out together. Some of you guys are like, I just now got that after you explained it. You're welcome. So here's, here's, the, here's the reason why I bring that up. So often when we talk about what matters most to you and the answer should be world peace, we don't really care about world peace. We just want peace for our lives, right? I, I can't see it from my house, <laughs> but my house is a wreck. So I just want peace personally, right? And so the prayer then comes, it's like, Lord, send peace. Give me peace. Where's the peace? You promised peace and I'm not seeing it. Especially if you're a believer. Like, I, you know, I, I need peace. I know God's promised it, but I'm not seeing it. So what's, what's going on here, which is actually a really, really good question. But I think Miss Rhode Island might have been onto something because so often we ask the question about peace and we cry out for peace and, and God is answering, but he's not answering the way you think he should. So Miss, we make fun of Miss Rhode Island, but she was thinking outside the box. That's kind of the point, right? And so I think the same thing is true for us. If we're going to understand peace, we can't think of peace the way the world thinks of peace. We're going to have to think of it differently. So let me read you Luke 2 and 8. Uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. It's a little bit long, but it's worth, worth hearing. <clears throat> so there's this, this promise. Hundreds of years after the prophecy of Isaiah, there's this promise God made that comes to pass. And this is where it begins, Luke 2, 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. Keep that in mind. It goes on, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is the promise that that Israel had been praying for 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 thousands of years, right? It goes on. It says, um, 
It says, they were terrified, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news. Today in the town of David, Savior has been born. This is the Messiah. Verse 12 says, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now, that was not something they expected, by the way, because their picture of a Messiah was not the picture of a baby lying in a manger wrapped in clothes, okay, or cloth, whatever you want to call it. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. So here's what's interesting about this. There's a bunch of things, but one thing that's interesting about this passage is this promise of peace to come. They thought it was going to come because the Messiah was going to come as a great warrior. He was just going to kill everybody. You know, they were praying for this, especially then when Rome had, had taken over. Kill all the Romans, you know, sort them all out and give us our land back. And, you know, we, we want to be in charge again, right? So the challenge with that is when God comes and he delivers this message to the first people, he doesn't deliver it to kings. He doesn't deliver it to the people who were in power. He delivers it to shepherds on the hillside. Now, some of you guys know a little bit about shepherds, uh, but most of our picture of shepherds comes from the plays we do at Christmas where they're really cute little boys with a staff, and they, you know, they do something silly, but it's cute, and we love it, and they're wrapped in a sheet, and we're like, aw. But that's not what the shepherds looked like back then. <laughs> they... They were stinky. That's the easiest way to put it, right? Most of the time, they were young men who were not married. They, were, they traveled all the time because they were constantly finding places for these sheep to, you know, to eat and to find fresh water. And so, so there was an understanding that these guys couldn't be trusted. If they came around your area, you put stuff away because things tended to go missing when the shepherds were around. They would blame it on the sheep, but we all know who did it, right? <laughs> so so the, these, sheep, these shepherds were not people that you would think that God would bring this message to. Right? And there's something interesting about this, and that's this, that the, that the peace that God was bringing, first of all, was not just to select few or people who were doing it right, people who were perfect or any of those other things. The first mention of this peace that comes to the nation of Israel are, are to some of the greatest outcasts of the entire nation of Israel. So there's a, there's a concept about the peace of Christ that, that's this, that the peace of Christ is for everyone. For everyone, this good news is coming for all people. Everybody can have this. Right? You don't have to be special. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to have done everything right. You can do it all wrong, and the peace of God will still be made available to you. Right? So this hope, peace, joy, and love that arrives with the birth of Christ is not just for the powerful and the perfected. It's for everybody everywhere. So this peace, this leadership that comes, is coming because Jesus is saying, I, I want to bring something to everybody and make it available to everybody. But how many of you guys know that just because it's available doesn't mean you're going to get it? You, there's some choices. There's some decisions that you have to make. There's some understanding. That's why the Bible talks about preaching this gospel is so important. Because how, the, we talked about last week the scripture about the beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet that brings this gospel, right? How will they know unless you go? That's kind of the point. So the whole challenge is, if you're not feeling worthy this year, if you said, you know what, I've not done well, I've, I've maybe messed up my finances, I've been in some relationships that were not helpful, I've made some poor decisions over this year, um, no wonder I'm not in peace, right? I've, I've screwed it all up. But the danger of that is that so often we think that that's permanent, right? Like I've, I've sinned away my day of grace. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thought. Because what happens is it allows the enemy to keep you in a lie. It's where fear comes in. Fear, part of fear is, why would God help me? Because there's something in, internal in that I'm afraid that says that, yeah, God's good, but not to me. Right? He, he's good. He wants, 
he loves me, but not that much. So there's this, there's this nuance inside of you that says that fear is allowed to rise up, right? Because the person of peace that's supposed to be inside of you, you're not listening to his voice. You're listening to all the other voices, including your own. And it's just not helpful. So the angel of the Lord appears to these men out in the fields, and their first response is absolute terror. And rightfully so, right? This is the angel of the Lord. So often uh, when the, the angels would appear, the Bible would talk about people would fall on their face, and, and often the angels would have to, the, you know, before they could deliver a message, they'd have to get them up off the floor, right? And the reason why is because the majesty of God surrounded, the, the power, the glory of God would surround these guys, and the, and the connotation was, you know, you have to leave. I'm, I'm, I'm dirty, and you're clean. I'm, I'm horrible. You're amazing. You know, it's like Peter, when Jesus says to him, you know, they come on the ship, and the Pharisees were doing the Pharisee thing, and, and he says to them, you know, um, are you going to leave me too? And I love Peter's response. Peter's like, where, where would we go, <laughs> right? Where would we go, right? You are the only one that has this, the only one that has this message of truth, this message of peace, this message of the gospel. Like, there's nobody else. Lord, you are the one. But so often, Peter would either be, you know, I'm amazing, and I don't need Jesus, right? And then he would realize his great need for Jesus. And then at some point, Jesus comes to him and says, you know, he, G, Peter in his pride says to Jesus, though everybody else leaves you, I'm not going to do that, Jesus, because I'm amazing, right? He didn't say that part. He implied it. <laughs> right? A lot of confidence, well, maybe arrogance, right? And he gets taken down a notch or two because we know the story. Jesus says to him, you know, before the day is out, Peter, this is what's going to happen. But I'm going to restore you, right? And so later on, you know, so he denies Jesus three times. I mean, cursing the whole nine yards. He walks away. <clears throat> and, if, and if we're not careful, if we've screwed up like that, we're like, I've been blatantly, it's been blatantly obvious that I've dis, been disobedient. I've done the wrong thing. I've made poor decisions. And now because of that, there's a subtle lie that comes in and says, you cannot have peace. You don't deserve it. But let me help you with some theology. You never deserved it. <laughs> You're like, well, that's surprisingly, um, you know, that should make me feel bad. But in some ways, it makes me feel good, right? Because if, if you get to the point where, like Peter, you think you deserve it, then what happens is you stop leaning into the person who actually gives you peace in the first place. And you start trying to obtain peace in your own way. And we're going to get to what that can look like in just a second. But what's interesting is when Jesus restores him, he, he says to him three times, you know, he denies him three times, and he, and he tells Peter three times something that's encouraging about who he was, his identity. He said, Peter, if you, if you love me, do this. You know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And at the end of it, Peter, in a moment of humility, says, Lord, you know I love you. And I, I imagine, it doesn't say it, but I imagine Jesus smiles at him. He's like, duh. That's literally what I've been trying to tell you the whole time. <laughs> so would you stop relying on your amazing ability, Peter? Because he was powerful. He was highly competent. For some of you guys, you know what that You're like, I don't need help. Yes, you do. Just maybe not yet. Right? <laughs> A funny thing about men, especially men, like, first of all, we don't think we're ever hurt when we're hurt, right? So we don't want to go to the, you know, we don't want to go to the emergency room because we're fine. We're, I, I could be shot off of a roof, right, and land in a neighbor's yard because I've been electrocuted. And the first words out of my mouth when my wife says, are you okay? Is I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not fine. I need, to get, I need some help, right? But what happens is because we're so used to just having to do it ourselves, 
the, re, the ability to rely on someone begins to, it begins to diminish, and we forget how to do that. It's really sad because in America, we've been taught in our culture to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Just come on now. I, I'm, I'm big. Kick you in the butt. Let's go. What, what are you doing? Some of that's good, right? And it's a reminder of who we are and encouragement. The danger of it is it, is it challenges so often to put all of, our, all of our reliability in ourselves. And then when that goes south... We feel the weight of that, and we begin to recognize, well, maybe I can't do this after all. And you know, we talk about this a lot at our church, but the reason God gave the law was so that you would learn the law can't save you. So the whole concept of, I can do it myself, and then you fall on your face, right? And then you're all embarrassed, embarrassed, and you're confused, and you're ashamed, and fear, and all this stuff, and you don't want to admit it, and you definitely don't want anybody to know about it. So you hide all that stuff. And you pretend like you're okay when you're not okay. So we get a whole church full of people who are pretending like they're okay, but they're not okay. How you doing, brother? I'm blessed and highly favored. How are you? You liar. Your face is telling the story. <laughs> you are so broken on the inside right now. And don't, don't get me wrong. Nothing. You don't want to share this truth with everybody, right? You just don't let everybody know your stuff. But at some point, if you don't learn to rely on someone besides yourself, you have not learned the lesson that the law was there to teach you. That in all of your strength and all of your ability, you could never do it. And the same thing is true about peace. With all of your strength, with everything that you can do, you can't bring peace to yourself. It has to come from somewhere else. And the danger is we forget about what that looks like. So he comes to the, the, you know, the angel comes to the shepherds, the people who didn't deserve any of this, and tells them, peace on earth is going to come through this little baby, and it's, and it's for you. As a matter of fact, you guys are the first ones we're telling. <laughs> Can you imagine? I always think about this. 30 years later, I would bet that some of those shepherds that were there that night that went to see Jesus were probably part of his discipleship group. I'd be telling people, I was like, if I was that shepherd, I'd be like, I saw him when he was a baby. I saw, him, I saw Jesus before he was big. <laughs> I was back when he was playing the small arenas. You know what I'm saying? That's when I saw Jesus. That's what I'd be telling people. <laughs> Mostly I'd be, I'll just be going, you know what I've learned in the last 30 years? It's all about him and it's not about me. So God comes and he brings his peace and his love to people who don't necessarily deserve it. Here's another interesting truth about peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of God. That's what I mentioned before. There's this concept that somehow peace is, you know, everything is fine and everything's good and no, there's no problems, there no, there's no issues. Well, let me just help you with this because Jesus said there's going to be a sword. So if you have this idea that you're going to live blissfully because your political guys are in office, right, or your job is going really, really well, or your health is really, really well. Look, there are moments of that, and I think that's God's blessing. That's the beauty of God's kindness and goodness in the original design. I mean, if you cut yourself, isn't it interesting that your body instantly starts to try to heal itself? It's fascinating. Like, like doctors don't even understand this. Like A lot of these things, we just, you know, the doctors just act like they came up with these ideas, <laughs> right? They're <laughs> like, you know, like you don't know. You just discovered it like everybody else, right? It's like you're, you just happen to go to school and learn it more than me, right? But I'll Google it and I'll, because I, you know, if I Google something, I want to talk to the doctor about it and he just shakes his head. Like, would you please stay off of WebMD? <laughs> So, so there's a danger in that, of course, right? There's nothing wrong with functional authority. But here's the danger. The danger is we think peace is something that it's actually not. So we strive for peace 
that we can never obtain because what we're trying to get doesn't exist in the first place. So if you're looking for a world where there's an absence of conflict, that's only going to be momentary. And, the, and, and if you're not sure that that's true, when you leave here, drive around the circle a few times. <laughs> you will find out very, very quick that this world is not a place that doesn't have conflict, right? So this is the peace that Jesus brings to our life, and it looks different. So there's this really interesting story from a book called A Wardrobe from the King. So I'll just kind of read it to you so you can capture it all. It's, it's really well written. It says, Long ago, a man sought the perfect picture of peace. Not finding one that satisfied, he announced a contest to produce the masterpiece. The challenge stirred the imagination of artists everywhere, and paintings arrived from far and wide. Finally, the great day of revelation arrived. The judges uncovered one peaceful scene after another while the viewers clapped and cheered. The tensions grew. Only two pictures remained veiled. As a judge pulled the cover from one, a hush fell over the crowd. A mirror-smooth lake reflected lacy green birches under the soft blush of this evening sky. Along the grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. Anybody ever seen these Christian pictures? <laughs> Surely this was the winner. Then the second painting was uncovered, and the crowd gasped in surprise. Could this be peace? A tumultuous waterfall cascaded down a rocky precipice. The crowd could almost feel its cold, penetrating spray. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning, wind, and rain. In the midst of the thundering noises and bitter chill, a spindly tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. One of its branches reached out in front of the torrential waters as if foolishly seeking to experience its full power. A little bird had built a nest in the elbow of that branch. Content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she manifested peace that transcended all earthly turmoil. See, that's the picture of peace that Jesus wants to bring. If we think it's the absence of conflict, what do we do? We pursue the absence of conflict. But it's imaginary. It's absolutely imaginary. You won't go to Thanksgiving dinner. Why? Because of Uncle whatever his name is, right? <laughs> or may, maybe nobody invites you to Thanksgiving dinner because you're that uncle. I don't know, right? <laughs> but, but I'm like, I can't get along with my friends. I can't get along with people. I can't, you know, it seems like I can't get along with anybody. What is the common denominator in this story, right? <laughs> and so often, I mean, even if we're being sober-minded, we're like, I don't want to deal with the world. I don't want to deal with the lost. You know, we talk about this all the time in our leaders meeting, that the lost is just an arbitrary term that means nothing, really, because the lost are, are, the lost are easy to love until they have a name and a problem. Right? And, and you know, and, and you, you think about, for some of you young women, maybe, maybe you haven't got married yet, and you, and you get the bride magazines. Anybody ever done that? Every woman in here, don't you lie. I know every one of y'all did this. You open those, and you're like, and you dream of the perfect wedding. Now, first, without making fun, understand there's a reason why that dream is in you, right? The picture of, of a wedding, the picture of marriage is something God purposely put in the earth to show you something more. So there's a dream of what it's supposed to be like inside of all of us. But it doesn't take long, once you get married, to find out that that dream can sometimes be a nightmare, right? <laughs> My wife and I have been married for 30-some-odd years, and, and 
<laughs> I remember a time when I was hugging her, and she, she had this look in her eye like if she said, there was a spoon laying on the counter. And I promise you, if she could have reached that spoon, she would have dug my eye out with that spoon. And I'm like, I'm a little bit, if I'm honest, afraid of my wife. <laughs> Not necessarily a bad thing, right? I'm stronger than her most days. <laughs> but I feel like if I go to sleep, that's when she's going to get me, right? Like she's she can plan things. She's really good at that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, and it's really challenging for us because both of us have very powerful personalities. She's a little bit more outgoing. I know some of that surprises you guys who know my wife. You, you know, you're learning today that she's outgoing. I know it's a surprise. But for me, I'm, I'm less so, right? But we've learned over the years that our marriage is never going to be the absence of conflict. It's never going to be that. The only way that's going to happen is if we never talk to each other. Can I just tell you, there are some marriages that are like that, <laughs> right? They, they live in separate parts of the house. Uh, you know, I've been asked a lot of times about this because I perform marriage ceremonies, of course. And they're like, what's your picture of, of a perfect marriage, right? And I just point them to who Jesus is, you know, the story that he's trying to tell with marriage. And so there's a whole, whole list of connotations that come from that particular understanding of marriage, right? Biblical marriage. But here's the challenge behind it. If we're not careful, we get married and think somehow because I did the thing, right? And I said the, the vows and I had the ceremony that everything is now going to magically work itself out. You know what's going to happen? The Bible calls it iron sharpening iron. Hang around Karen and I long enough. I promise you, you're going to see sparks fly. Now I'm mostly wrong. <laughs> in, in our challenges, but sometimes she's wrong, right? And I want to celebrate it with everything. No, I don't, <laughs> don't do that. That's the bad idea, right? But here's my point. If I, if I came into this marriage thinking, you know what? Every day is just going to be blissful. You know, it's always the, the end of the story that you watch on TV or the book you read is they lived happily ever after. No, they didn't. They did not. And in this world, there's going to be conflict. Part of it is God designed, not conflict, but he designed us to be different. So you are going to challenge me. You're going to be super merciful where I don't have a very big mercy gift. All that means is if you have a bigger mercy gift than me is it's easy for you to show mercy. It's harder for me to do it. So maybe I have a strong leadership gift and you don't have a strong leadership gift. That just means it's going to be easier for me to do it in that arena than you. But that truth keeps us in a place where, like I said in worship time, we need one another, right? And part of that is I get a perspective of who God is and who the world is as I lean into relationships with people. And there's never going to be a time when there's an absence of conflict if you have real relationship. Understand that. So then the answer isn't don't try to have, have an absence of conflict. Have the person of peace within you so that you can sort out the conflict with maturity. Most of us don't know how to argue. Like we, we do this all the time. We do pre-marriage counseling. We're like, let's talk about the button, right? So, so you know your wife. So what, here's the one, you're just like your mother. Don't ever say that. <laughs> right? <laughs> and there's, there's some other buttons, but here's the thing. You, here's the thing. You know the button, right? Because they've been vulnerable you have seen them naked, so to speak, <laughs> emotionally. They have, they have said, hey, if you ever want to kill me, right there. Just poke me right there, right? And so when you're angry, what comes to the forefront of your mind? I know where the button is, and I'm going to, right? <laughs> so you know what you have to learn to do? 
you have to learn to say, you know what? What would Jesus do? Would Jesus push the button? <laughs> Let me help you. The answer is no. He would not push the button, right? He's trying to help them get rid of the button. <laughs> so the last thing he's going to do is push that thing. But here's, it goes back to the whole mindset is I think that somehow I have to build into this, you know, if I do date night just right, if everything goes well, you know, if I'm really kind to her, to her mother, whatever, whatever is in your head about pursuing peace may or may not be true because your idea of peace and God's idea of peace may not be the same thing. So the first Christmas morning, these angels bring good news. And these, the angels are telling them this peace that's coming is not a feeling. Let me say that again. This peace that's coming is not a feeling, because feelings come and go, right? I feel, I hear this all the time as a pastor, I just feel led, and then it's probably something unbiblical they're about to say. <laughs> not always. I just feel led to say this mean thing to you. It's like, no, that was not the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit might have given you an, an insight into what you needed to say, but you, you can decide how you say it to me, right? That's what maturity is all about, right? So, so I've learned to hear the voice of God through people who are immature. It's a helpful thing to do, right? But I've also learned at the same time to learn more maturity so that the things God have, has to give me, you know, through me into other people can actually be received. But if you don't know that, you will get so disenfranchised with the church. It's like, Pastor Dave, you don't understand. I was hurt by church. I'm hurt by church all the time. All the, I know, all, right? All, right? All the time. Why? Because there's, there's some immature people who say things to me, and they're like, here, let me give you an example. Someone will come in and preach, and they'll go, you know, he was amazing. That, that guy's preaching was amazing, Dave. His just the way he, I was just so, it's just so, and it just, I'm like, I'm right here. Like I preach it, I preach to you everywhere. I'm literally right here. The, my favorite is, you know, the word he gave, man, um, that, was, that was from the Lord. I'm like, I've been saying that to you for eight years. <laughs> right? <laughs> my point is, the absence of conflict is not going to occur. So you just have to make a decision what, about what you're going to do with that. So if you have the person of peace inside of you, you, you don't react, you respond. When conflict comes, if the, the reason why that's dangerous is because if you think peace is the absence of conflict, then the moment conflict comes, your peace goes away. But if the person of peace lives inside of you, right? Jesus is the prince of peace, and he lives inside of me as a believer. Then peace never goes away. I don't feel peace. doesn't matter. Stop living by your feelings. That's part of the problem, right? Is that helpful? You're like, I don't know if I want to hear any more of this. It's getting bad. <laughs> so here's the thing. This last thing they said in that passage, Luke 2, um, 13 and 14. Um, Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Listen, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So here's the last thing I'm going to say about peace this morning. God's favor, again, is not from the absence of conflict. It comes from a person. But God's favor comes from being at peace with the person of peace. Being at peace with God is where your favor comes from. So here's the thing. We, we talk about grace all the time. And we recognize that um, 
If I, if I do something, if I make a decision or I, I sin, I'm led, you know, I, I, a temptation gets the better of me. If I, I get angry with somebody on the road and I actually sin. You know, get angry, the Bible says be angry, but just don't sin. So I get angry, but I do sin. I say something, you know, about their mama or something. <laughs> yeah, I call them a Yankee. That's the worst thing I can think of. It's like, you probably came from Atlanta, you Yankee. So, you know, I lived in Atlanta for a while. There's a lot of Yankees in Atlanta. I don't know if you know this. So, <laughs> I, I sin, right? And then if I'm not careful because I don't understand grace and I don't understand the love of God and I don't understand that God is bringing peace to my life, the danger is I think I have fallen out of fellowship with God. So, I've been going after this for a long, long time. When I first started preaching, uh, what, what I learned in Bible college, I just gave to the people. The problem was some of the things I learned in Bible college were not biblical. I know that's frightening, right? But it's true. <laughs> so it doesn't mean everything was unbiblical. That's not true either. But I, there were a lot of things I learned that were not biblical. Let me give you an example. One of them said, uh, one of my professors said, your old man is never so dead he can't be resurrected. Doesn't that sound really philosophical and wise? It does, does it? Except it's unbiblical, <laughs> right? It's just absolutely not true, right? You, either you're dead, either your old man is dead or he's not, right? So, so the other one I hear all the time is, you know, it's just I'm still struggling with the sin nature. No, you're not. Because the Bible says he gives you a new nature. Behold, all things are new except for your nature, <laughs> right? So, so you buy into these lies that the world gives you. Sometimes even the church gives you. And if you're not careful, you lose your peace because you did something. You think, okay, what I just did, God has now turned his back on me. And now I have to do something else to earn his favor again on my life. So where does the favor of God come from? Does it come because you've done well? Well, let's talk about that for a second. Let's look at the whole Old Testament, right? especially all the law. And the Bible says if you break one single law, James talks about this other places, if you break one single law, you are guilty of them all. You are a lawbreaker now, <laughs> right? And so God says, I'm gonna give you the law because this is the requirement. Here's what's beautiful. On the day that the law is given, Moses, you know, he says, stand, half of the people stand on one side of the mountain, the other's on the other side. And he, he preaches the blessings, he preaches the cursings. And, and at the end of it, he says, this is what's required. There's 613 different laws, not just the 10. He finishes, and this is what the Israelites said. We will do everything that you said, everything written in the law. We will do it. No, you won't. And I just, I feel like in that moment, God's like, that's why I'm doing this. Because it's going to take a couple of generations. <laughs> and you're going to try. And you're going to try harder. And you're still going to mess it up. And you're going to try harder and try harder and try harder and try harder. At some point, you're going to realize that you cannot do it. You can't do it. Because peace doesn't come from you trying to pursue peace. Peace comes because the person of peace comes to live in you. He gives you a new nature. He gives you a new heart. He changes everything. All the old stuff is gone. Behold, everything becomes new. But your brain isn't new. Because the Bible speaks to that and says your, your mind has to be transformed. You have to learn new things. So some of this, this morning I shared with you that peace is not the absence of conflict. Maybe some of you guys have heard that. Maybe some of you guys, that's the first time you've ever heard this concept. Let me give you another one. This one's just kind of free of charge. So I hear people all the time, man, I just can't wait for the weekend. Can't wait for the weekend. Can't wait. Oh, I'm just going to, you know, and especially when you're young, it's like Friday. Man, Friday comes around. I have enough energy and strength to actually go out and party, <laughs> right? 
you get over, you know, Friday rolls around, you're like, oh, I'm done. I am so done. Like, I know I got to do some stuff tomorrow, but that's probably going to happen Sunday afternoon, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> but what happens is you have this mindset, I'm, 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 I'm working for the weekend. The whole world does this. Songs are written about it. All these things are true. Working for the weekend. But if you go back and read Genesis, the very beginning, God makes humanity, right? He makes, he makes all of the things that humanity is going to be a part of. And then he makes humans on the last day. And then he, he says, now be fruitful and multiply. I've given you a garden to tend. These are all the, it's going to be amazing. You're going to dominate. You're going you're gonna, to you're have dominion over everything. It's going to be amazing. And Adam and Eve's like, yeah, let's go. Let's get started. And he's like, hold up. First, we're going to rest. Now, think about that for a second. What? Like, God, you just gave me all these amazing things that I'm supposed to do, and the first thing you're telling me is to sit down and rest? First of all, how many of you guys know God doesn't really need to rest? <laughs> so if he's doing that and modeling that for the first humans, he's probably trying to show them something that they need that maybe he doesn't need. But here's the point. He said, and he talks about it, he goes, <clears throat> the way he says the first day, right? The first day is not morning and evening. The first day is evening. Now, why is that important? It goes back to the same concept, thinking outside the box. Here's the way God designed you to work. He designed you to work from rest, not to rest. But I'll bet most of us in this room, we do it the same way the world does it. Because we've never caught this understanding, this revelation that God's way is different than mine. So why is Sunday the first day of the week for Christians? Why? The first day of the week is not Monday. Maybe to you it is, but here you need to fix that. That's part of the reason why you don't have peace, right? Because what if you took Sunday? What if Sunday was, you know, this moment on Sunday mornings why church becomes valuable is I learn something. I hear from the Lord. I'm reminded of his grace and his goodness and his kindness and the peace that is mine. Not because I've done anything well, but because he has been kind to give it to me. The righteousness I have is not mine. It's not self-righteousness. I can't do it. It's a gift of righteousness that's been made available to me because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And it's mine because I believe it, not because I've earned it. And I keep it. Because I believe it, not because I keep earning it. But so often we live that way. So what if you took this concept of rest and said, you know what, Sunday, I'm going to say, Lord, i got a big week ahead of me. I need to hear from you. What's going on this week? What if you took Sunday and just said, Lord, talk to me about the coming week. Because you have been there, I have not. And I'm trusting you now that if I'm going to be the person of peace into that week, then first thing I have to have is carry the person of peace into that week with me, right? To be, up, to be cognizant of who he is and what he's doing in my life. So Romans 8, 6, 7 says it this way. It says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. So the mind led, remember the, 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 government, of the, the government that Jesus was gonna bring, the peace that was, he was, he was gonna bring would have no end, right? So this is the same concept. It says the mind governed by the flesh is death. Listen, and this is even if you're a believer, even if you're a believer, but especially if you're not. It says, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and what? Peace. The mind governed by the Spirit is life. Jesus said, I'm coming to bring life and more abundantly. I don't feel like I have that, Lord. Here's why. He comes and he says, I want you to govern your mind differently than the world does. As a matter of fact, he goes on, he says it this way. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. So if you're thinking like the world in any of these concepts, but especially about peace, it's literally against God's 
whole concept, and it's hostile to him. Listen, listen to what it says. It's amazing. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it. In other words, you can't mix those two things. You have to make a decision about where peace comes from. You have to make a decision about how peace is going to rule and reign in your life. And that's really the, the answer to the peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? Because it, it ends with, we become the messengers that take this gospel, take this good news of peace to the shepherds of the world, to the people who don't, maybe not the powerful. Maybe you can speak to the powerful. They need to know about peace too, of course. But you become, the, you become the, the angel, which literally means messenger. You become the messenger of peace to the shepherds of the earth. And what do you do? You don't say, hey, you know what? You need some good advice. That's what you need. If you would just do these things, if you read this book, if you do these things. No, no. What did the angel tell them? There's good news that's come to you today. And here's how you're going to know. Go find that person. Go find that person. Here's how you're going to know. And when they found him, that's when they found peace. So let me just close it out again with that scripture. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. If you want peace in your life, first of all, dispense with the idea that you can't have it. That's not true. If you knew what I did, I know what you did because I did it too. I was just really good at hiding it, <laughs> right? I'm like, I remember in, in, in high school, I was like, everybody thought I was the good kid because I didn't drink or smoke pot or, you know, do any of those things. No, no, I was just wicked on the inside. Like I was manipulative and, and I thought about how to hurt people. I just, you know what I mean? It didn't just come out of me because I had a bad day. I mean, I was, it was horrible. But if you saw me from the outside, you thought you would think I was good. But all I said was, whatever they're doing, because I, I saw a guy throw up one time and then fall over in his own puke. And I'm like, that's not helpful. I don't think I want to go down that road, Right? Saw some people do drugs, and I'm like, nope, I'm good. So I made some decisions, thankfully, that those things were not going to be part of who my life was. But can I tell you, no matter what I did on the outside, the inside of me was not full of peace. The inside of me was not good. The inside of me was wicked. It was broken. It was hurting. It was desperate. And I was crying out. And I, my story was, 17 years old, had a girlfriend who died in a, in a car accident, go to the funeral, she was super outgoing. I, I remember putting my hand on her hand, and her hand was cold. And, I'm, and I don't know why I never thought of that, but I'm 17, right? And so I touched, and, I, and something in my head said, she's not there. She's not in her house anymore. I don't know where that thought came from because it didn't come from me. But I remember that that wouldn't go away. She's not in her house anymore. And I remember from that moment on, my mind began to be open to the concepts of God and right and wrong and all these things that I never thought about before because for the first time, I was no longer 10 feet tall and bulletproof. The world had come at me and the world won. Death seemed to win. And what I, what I learned, though, was that what I see out here is not what God intended for me. So whatever the world has is striving through the absence of conflict is never going to occur but you can be that little bird in the midst of this massive, tumultuous waterfall just cascading over all of your life. You can have relational problems. You can have financial problems. You can have health issues. You can have all those things. And in the midst of all of those things, you can have peace, but only if you have peace with God. Favor rests on those who have the favor. I mean, peace rests on those who have the favor of God. So how do you get it? I'll try harder. I'll do better. I'll go to church. I'll read the Bible. All those things are wonderful, but they're not going to change your heart. The only thing that changes
touches a heart. Jesus comes to the people who need to hear this, peace, this message of peace. And this is what he says. Come and follow me. So they begin to walk after this, this man of peace. And they see that he is different than anybody who's ever come. They said, you talk with, with an authority we've never heard before. We see you do these signs and these miracles. Something's going on. Something about you is different than everything else. And what they discovered was they were following God himself. And so he, he models it before them. Everything that needed to be done right, every temptation that come, he, he, was, he was angry but never sinned. He was tempted but never gave in to the temptation. And on that, on that cross, on that day, <clears throat> he dies a death that we were supposed to die. We understand this if we've been around church for a while. He lays his life down and then he gives his life as a gift to me because all I have is death. All I have is death. But one of those gifts that he is is peace. But that peace will only come when that peace comes into your heart. So how does it happen? I'll try harder. No, you won't. Two men standing on the cross next to Jesus. One curses him, says, if you were who you said you were, he's mimicking the devil from literally the book of Genesis all the way through. If, if you were God, you would do it differently. This is not how God works. I know because I know everything about God. Literally saying that to the one who is God. And the man next to him says, you don't, are you crazy? He's done nothing wrong. We have and we're dying, for, for, we're dying because we should. He's done nothing wrong. He's laying his life down for us. <clears throat> and so he, he challenges this guy and he looks at Jesus. He said, humbly, all I can ask for is mercy because I, I know I don't deserve any of this. Lord, will you remember me? Right? What a, what a prayer. <clears throat> and Jesus says to them, today you will be in, with me in paradise. Let me tell you what that guy never did. He never went to church. He never read his Bible, <clears throat> at least from then on. <laughs> He never went to a Bible study. He never gave money to the church. He never did a good thing for anybody. He didn't serve. He didn't visit anybody in the hospital. He didn't do one single thing. Now, here's the thing. If he had lived, I promise you he would have because his heart and his nature had been changed on that day, but he didn't. So he accepts Jesus. There is no, there's nothing good that's been in his life. And then Jesus gives him all of that as a gift the moment he takes his last breath. So if God's kindness does that to a man who's going to do nothing for him, what do you think he's doing in you who now your heart and your passion is, Lord, I want this peace and I want to love people and I want to serve and I want to be on mission with you and I want to, I want to bless. I want to do those things, but I struggle. The only thing that keeps you from walking in that peace is to think that somehow something you do can take that peace away from you. But it can't. You're the only one, you're the only one that can keep that peace practically from being in your life. How do you do that? In your head, you say, you know what, I've sinned, and because I've sinned now, God has turned his face away from me. That is not what the Bible teaches. But let me tell you what does happen practically. When you sin, you sin some big juicy sin, if you don't understand grace, what you do is you remember that you don't deserve his goodness, his kindness, or his peace, and you turn yourself away from him. And he's trying to bless you, and you can't hear him. So this morning, if you have never given your life to Christ, if you've been searching for peace, if you've been longing for this, if you thought, I don't deserve it, I've done, if you knew the things I, you are in the right place this morning. Because Jesus said, this is why I came. 
I came so that you might have life. I came so that you might have peace. So in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And I ask you to pray that prayer with me if you've never done that. And my prayer is simply going to be, Lord, I want to follow after you. I want to learn more about you. I want to become a learner, a disciple of you. I want to lay my life down and pick yours up. Maybe you don't understand what all that means. But in your heart, you're ready to make that decision? Then pray that prayer with me. But let me say this to you if you're a believer here this morning. Don't believe the lie that because you've done something, that somehow the Prince of Peace has deserted you. He said, I will never leave you. I won't leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. So maybe this morning you're thinking, even as a believer, I've sinned willfully. And I know there's some scriptures to speak of that. And somewhere in your mixed up theology, you have believed now that something you did could take you out of the love of God. Can I tell you that nothing you did put you into the love of God? So why would you think something you do could take you out? So as a believer this morning, you want peace in your life? You have to, you have to lean in to the Prince of Peace. The favor of the Lord rests. The peace of the Lord rests on those who have his favor. And if you are a believer this morning, you have his favor. Not because anything you've done well or bad, but because he loves you so much, he wants to give it to you as a gift. When you understand that, it humbles you like Peter, and you say, Lord, where else would I go? Why do you even look? I don't understand, Lord, why you, you don't have to understand why God loves you so much. All you have to do is say yes to it. And I want to encourage you to do that as we go into this holiday season. Because when you do that, then you become the messenger of the Lord to take this good news of peace to people like these shepherds who maybe are the outcasts, maybe they've never heard it before. But you get to bring that peace to them because the peace is not the absence of conflict. It's in a person. Would you stand with me? <clears throat> Jesus, we come to you. First of all, we just say thank you. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Lord, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love for us, Lord. Lord, you said while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, you died for us while we were at our worst. Lord, so we come to you now, Lord, and, and for those of you, maybe this morning you've never believed in Jesus. Maybe you've never prayed this prayer. I'll just say pray this prayer with me. You don't, have to, you don't have to come to the front. I'm not asking that. But if you mean this, pray this prayer with me. Just, just say it like this. Lord, I come to you humbly. I lay my life before you. I receive your goodness. I lay my life down, and I pick up your life. Jesus, thank you for your blood. Your word says it cleanses me of my sin. I believe in what you did on the cross on my behalf. Thank you for saving me. In your name I pray. This morning, if you're a believer, would you just open your hands right now? Would you just open, just as a, as a sign of faith, a sign of invitation, I just want to pray over you. Jesus, Lord, as we come to you, Lord, as your people, Lord, some of us did not grow up with an understanding of your grace and your kindness and your goodness, and we're still trying to do things to get you to love us. Lord, would you convince us from Scripture that that is not true, that nothing I could do can make you love me any more than you already love me. Lord, before I ever turned to you, before I ever wanted to, Jesus, you laid your life down on my behalf. You made something available before I even knew it was available. That's your goodness. And so, Lord, this morning as a believer, lean into that. And I say thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. And, Lord, as a believer, 
you live inside of me. I have a new heart and a new nature. And because of that, I have access to peace even in the midst of conflict and turmoil. Lord, would you teach me how to walk in this as a, as a mature, healthy disciple of Jesus? Lord, would you show me what it means, not just to have that peace, Lord, but then to deliver that peace to the people in this world who do not have it. Help us, Lord, preach this good news of your grace and your kindness and your love for us. Lord, that when we repent of our sin, Lord, everything that needs to be done has already been done on the cross. You said on the cross when you died, it is finished. Thank you, Lord, that you've done that. Now I lean into this peace and I receive you, Lord, as the person of peace in my heart. And Lord, I just pray, teach me how to access it. In your name I pray. This morning, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Our, our team will be up here, love to minister to you. Also, if uh, you want to do a cardboard testimony, just head out that door. It'll be back toward the back. We can get you positioned. But if you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. Thanks.